and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. It is December 11th, uh, 2018. It's 1.42 a.m., which makes it Tuesday. It's almost two hours into Tuesday for me. The last week of my university career so far. I am graduating on Friday. That's a weird feeling, huh? I've been in school for eight years. Jesus, eight years. Oof. That's a long time. I have been, like, I mean, like most people who have uh, gone to college out of high school, been in school m- my entire life, more or less, with a few years spread out here and there. I've been in school my entire life, slightly less than the average person my age, I think. Maybe by now it's equaled out because a lot of people my age started college a lot sooner. But anyway, it's almost over and I have not done an episode of the podcast in about 25 years. (laughs) That's actually not entirely true. I've recorded this particular episode twice already. Once uh, like a week ago and then once again like two days ago. It has been a time because my standards are too high. (laughs) But no, actually, they were really bad recordings, and you don't want to hear them. One of them was me, basically, like, I was trying to answer a reader question, but I went off for about an hour about the gig economy. And then in the recording that I did two days ago, uh, I was just tired, and I was loopy, and I was falling asleep. And I know both of those things sound like, oh, that might be fun to listen into, uh, because Sarah is just wild and weird and says things like whatever at the podcast. It's where Sarah goes to vomit her thoughts. Why wouldn't she want us to to hear her thoughts here? The answer is that they're boring. I've listened to them and they're boring and they're not, um, they're not super great for this podcast. Uh, they're kind of episodes where I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I needed something to put out, you know, to, to fit the time and I just didn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. That's the most important thing. So I'm going to keep this episode pared down as best I can because I've had too much of a habit of, uh, rambling on about whatever the fucking fuck thing is going through my brain. It's almost 2 a.m. Did I mention that? I'm pretty sure I mentioned that. It's almost 2 a.m. Uh, I have a paper to finish writing, which is already overdue. I've got like a shit ton of stuff that I need to shoot and edit for a class uh, for Wednesday. It's a great time to be alive, generally speaking. But anyway, I've got some concerns about this show. Uh, Quality-wise, uh, in terms of like where it's going from here, especially as I'm, you know, about to graduate, moving forward with the rest of my goddamn life uh, into 2019. So I have some solutions, uh, some plans for the show, and I'm going to be elaborating on them at the end of this episode. So there's your little, uh, your little hook, you know, bite on that, bite on that bait 
and uh, ride the ride with me all the way through to the end of this podcast, however long it winds up being. You might be here for four or five hours. I don't know. The power of procrastination can do incredible things. But no, I've got to keep it succinct. I was about to say short, but that ain't me. That's not going to happen. First order of business, Thanksgiving. Holy fuck. It's been... Oh, it's only been like three weeks, two weeks. I have no concept of time. I was about to say it's been like a month and a half since Thanksgiving. Uh, It's only December 11th. I don't don't know what time is anymore. I just know that this was a century ago uh, that I was getting all ready for Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, I built up to it in, I guess, the previous episode. And I uh, uh, did actually record a lot of stuff during my trip and after my trip that was for uh, the first version of this episode of the podcast. And here's the skinny, you know, here's the straight dope, as they say, as the cool kids say. No, that's what the that's what the police say when they're trying to sound cool to the kids. Anyway. Uh, here's the, just the facts of the factual fuck. Why do I always try to do this to myself? Anyway, I prepared myself for, um, family misgendering. Just as a general reminder, I, uh, this was my first time going to a family gathering as myself, as Sarah, um, first time going since coming out to myself. So it was a big sort of moment of discovery, but here's the, the, the issue that arose from this trip is that it was very short. So there wasn't a whole, whole lot of time for actually (laughs) dealing with that because we drove basically, it was six days just being on the road where I drove three hours, uh, three hours Tuesday. Yeah. Three hours, Tuesday, six hours, Wednesday, six hours, Thursday, then six hours back Six hours back, three hours back. Uh, I was supposed to stay a full calendar day, full calendar day uh, in Indiana where my sister's family lives. But there was a winter storm that blew through or was threatening to blow through and we wanted to beat it. Uh, Otherwise, we might end up getting stuck in Indiana for a while. So we had to leave early. We left like the morning of and uh, like the morning after. So basically I just had that one night with uh, all three of us, my brother, my sister and me together. Uh, that sounds like a good title of a podcast. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway. Um, and it was good. It was a good time. Um, but I was prepared to gird myself for like misgendering and dead naming. And there was some of that. There's a little bit of that throughout the trip where Everybody, I mean, everybody's known me for ages. And I wish I could tell you that there was a big dramatic moment where I like ripped my fucking shirt off and said, do these look like the tits of a man? I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't, there was nothing, there was nothing really rage inducing because I mean, this is the first time any of them have seen me since coming out for them. It's still very hypothetical and like, it's still kind of hypothetical for me <laughs> in the sense that I'm still adjusting to it psychologically. But everybody who got it wrong, uh, everybody who misgendered or deadnamed me, 
pretty much immediately realized like, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. And then corrected themselves and we moved on and it was fine. Um, I think there were two times where I had to sort of like raise my hand and say, uh, actually, it's it's she. And they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Whoops, my bad. Uh, nobody even made like a big deal of it in the sense of like, you know, the the stereotype of the cis person like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, I didn't mean, to. you know, they're making a big deal about it, which is ultimately making it about them somehow. Now, I bring all of that up because 21 days ago, I got an anonymous question over at curiouscat.me slash hmsnofun where you too can send anonymous questions for me to answer on the podcast uh, about somebody asking me, uh, uh, have you run into people from your past who reacted negatively to your gender transition? And if so, were you able to handle it? Like telling them to go fuck themselves or finding a way to not to internalize it. So I really wanted to give you some good answers there. And it just, I don't, I don't, I mean, I mean, I've, I've been holding on to this question for 21 days. It's a good question. It's an important question. And I just don't have the experience to be able to answer it with any kind of authority. I can give you some hypotheticals. I can say like, you know, correct people if they are fucking it up, you know, get mad if they deserve to be mad at, uh, if they deserve, if they deserve your ire, I guess. Um, don't internalize it, but you know that, but I haven't, I haven't had that experience really where like getting sort of vocally, verbally, those are the same thing in this context, um, physically misgendered or dead named, uh, by somebody who knew me a long time ago, um, hasn't happened in the sense that you're talking about Anon where, uh, it's like somebody that you haven't talked to in forever and who seems to like think that you're dumb or weird or gross or whatever. And I just don't, I haven't had that happen yet, so I can't speak to it. Now, this is not me dismissing this question. I'm going to hold on to it. It's going to stay right where it is. I wish that I could get an answer to you before the holidays, but I don't know. I mean, we've already passed several of the big ones at this point, so I don't know <laughs> that it's going to happen that way. But even still, um, I will come back to you. I will come back to you with with more answers as they come someday, somehow, some way. But anyway, the Thanksgiving was good. The food was delicious. Got a little bit drunk. Um, we talked about death. Like it, me, my brother, and my sister all sat down after everybody else went to bed. And we talked about what we needed to do with our mom's ashes, which uh, we haven't dealt with yet. Um, haven't dealt with in 10 years. That's the other thing is that uh, two days from now is the 10 year anniversary of my mom's death, which is a big, uh, big landmark for me. And it's, uh, well, the poetic irony of the day after that anniversary being the day I graduate is not lost on my pretentious ass. So it's, um, anyway, we, we uh, talked about that and all it really did was we kind of made a tentative plan, but we aren't able to make actual plans until later on for various reasons. But what it what it brought up is the same thing that it always these conversations always bring up between us, which is that 
because I was the baby of the family, because I was the one who was still living with her when she died. And, you know, I hadn't had any life. Basically, everybody try, just reminds me at some point or another that the, it, it's the hardest on me than it was on anybody else in the family, uh, which is well-intentioned, but not helpful. And this wasn't that necessarily, but it was functionally in that both my brother and sister were like, well, we don't really need closure because we've more or less had to move on and they have kids, you know, they, yeah, they don't have a choice, but I, I've been in limbo in a lot of ways. And, you know, I came out as trans, started transitioning. I don't know if you knew that about me. (laughs) I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making all this progress and now I'm starting to live and I'm able to actually deal with like the emotional fallout of my mom's death, which I was never able to do before and, and just process my emotions in a general sense. So coming away from that, uh, I was left with the realization of just how much of my life up until now has been kind of just one long trauma. And this has been compounded by conversations that I've had with a couple of different friends about a lot, a lot of stuff like death in general, depression, um, but also sex and sexuality. And I kind of unearthed some unpleasant childhood memories of my own, which I will not go into really. Um, except to say that my relationship with sex, I'm not a sexual person, generally speaking. I have a libido, but it's not, its focus is weird, I guess. I'm not too terribly interested in other people sexually. I like physical contact, but I'm more interested in, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm demisexual in that way where I can't imagine any kind of sexual contact with a person if I'm not like intensely close to them, like emotionally. And even then, like the mood's got to be right and I've got to be, like there's so many like asterisks to my sexuality. And in looking back at my sexual experiences, the, the handful of ones that I've had, there's this consistent feeling of like discomfort and I guess dysphoria. Um, what I what I've realized that is, this is sort of weird and maybe kind of difficult to conceptualize is that all of those experiences were kind of fundamentally non-consensual. Now they were consensual at the time and nobody involved is at fault, but I was not able to, to understand how I related to my own body. I was not able to situate myself within a sexual encounter healthily or correctly. So I've kind of always remembered those experiences as as like not just embarrassing, but uncomfortable, like viscerally painful experiences, even though they weren't bad necessarily um except that i just wasn't into it and i felt obligated to be there i felt obligated to the role of a man in heavy scare quotes 
a role which I've never been terribly interested in romantically or sexually. And I always thought that 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 was because I was just not performing sex correctly, right? Or that I just wasn't a very terribly sexual person. But since I've started transitioning, since I've started HRT, I've found that my sex drive has changed and adjusted, become a little bit easier to focalize around other people in a way that I've never done before. And looking back, I recognize that I was remembering those experiences in in the sense of them being non-consensual to I mean I I didn't I didn't want to be there although I didn't really know that I didn't want to be there I thought I wanted to be there It's complicated it's it's complicated stuff um and it's by no means coerced sexual activity I guess it culturally kind of is but not in the way that not in this not in the way that we tend to understand it and it's again I don't put anybody involved at fault cuz the, the discourse, the language of it didn't exist, at least in my circles back then. But the point is, all of that is traumatic for me. And you pile that on with living through my mom's death, my dad's death, various other family members dying, uh, living on my own for a long time, and really economically fucked up situations um living probably my entire adult life since puberty and possibly before with um uh, undiagnosed learning disabilities uh, or a at least one ADHD um bipolar 2 per- perhaps um major depressive disorder social anxiety all of these things which which were just like undiagnosed and I just thought they were normal and that I was just not able to make it work, right? All of that stuff basically makes the entire rest of my life before now just feel like one long trauma. I don't really have like a peppy way to bounce off of that in terms of, you know, transitioning into the next topic for the podcast. I just, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with that just yet. I'm still figuring it out. So moving on from that, I want to talk a little bit about HRT. I have now been on, I should have looked June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Wow. I've been on HRT almost six months now. Holy shit. That's like a big number. It's like it's like half a year. That's a long time to be on them hormones, huh? So I realize it's been a while since I've given an update about how things are going. So I thought I'd give an update about how things are going. So there's the obvious shit, right? Like I am slowly growing boobs. That's a thing that's happening. Um, they're approaching the point where they're going to be a lot harder to hide. They're still, I mean, obviously really small. <laughs> I don't know, like a cup, I guess. I've had some difficulty sort of accurately diagnosing cup sizes because 
according to measurements, it's one thing, but the the fit doesn't seem correct. I don't know. Um, women's clothes, by the by, fucking suck because all of the measurements are subjective and ugh, I, I don't. I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of how they look and how they feel and how I feel wearing them. Not a fan of the process of shopping for them. My face is noticeably thinner and it's it's shaped differently. I was actually just a little while ago looking at um, somebody commented on one of my older videos from, I guess it's only been less than a year ago. It was, I think it was in like January or February when I did this video, but my face looks entirely different. I went and like, I grabbed a still from that and then a still from the video that I'm working on right now. And my beard is noticeably thinner and um, like my cheeks are thinner in a very specific way. I look very different. I don't want to say I look more feminine, but I certainly look less masculine. And that's, that's nice. Another thing I noticed is that my hands have gotten thinner and they're pleasantly thinner. It's weird. I've looked at, I've, I've caught like glances of my hands and like there are times when I took pictures of my hands and um, yeah, they've gotten thinner. I think they look a lot nicer now. Now I've been epilating the hair on my arms consistently for a while now. And what's kind of amazing to me is the fact that on my hands, the hair that grows back now seems to be entirely vellus or almost entirely. So there's like very little hair here that is um, dark. It's almost all white and thin. So that's wonderful. The rest of my arms are um, coming along. They're um, certainly thinning. There's dark hair that still grows in, but it's not as dark. Um, so I didn't perform any sort of experiment where I controlled where like one arm I just let grow and shaved, uh, whereas the other arm I epilated. So I can't speak to how much of this thinning is the result of HRT and how much epilating has helped expedite the process of that thinning. Because anecdotally, um, when you're plucking the hair repeatedly and your body has to regenerate the hair at the root each time at the same time as the hormones that supply nutrients to those hairs are being cut off. Uh, it speeds up the process of thinning out that hair. Now, my description of that process might be entirely wrong, but that's the gist of it, maybe, I guess. It's my understanding, I should say. I should have said there's a way at the top. I'm sorry if my voice is really like bad. I've been recording this video right for a while, and yesterday uh, I did a section that involved almost entirely screaming, so my voice is a little cracked, and then I've got more screaming yet to do for this video. I can't wait. Anyway, I feel like the hair on my back grows a lot slower and a lot thinner. It probably won't be long before it's not something that I have to worry about much at all, which is so exciting. That's so good. So good to know that that's happening. Just to see it. 
comparing uh, some of the situations I wish that I had taken notes as to like specifically how long it was between each time I felt like I needed to shave because it definitely feels like it's gotten longer, but who knows, maybe absolutely nothing has changed. And I've just been so fucking stressed that I haven't had time to deal with grooming anywhere that I'm not looking at all the time. Um, but that said, like the hair on my shoulders is still fairly thick and dark, but like on my back, uh, like my lower back, it, I can barely even feel it. I don't know. Um, yeah, body hair everywhere is generally just growing a lot thinner. And my um, my last laser session was in November. And I wish that I had the money to get another package because this was my eighth session. And the thing is, I need to do like a redaction of the uh, laser hair removal episode that I did a while back because... My uh, my experience has been counter to a lot of what I said there. The last two sessions that I did were a lot more effective, drastically more effective, because I shaved the day of, uh, which is apparently what you are supposed to do, as opposed to the wisdom they gave me and the wisdom uh, that you'll find in various places on the internet, which is to shave one to two days beforehand. Uh, so... I basically wasted seven to eight sessions or six to seven sessions. Sorry. Fuck numbers, right? Five to six sessions <laughs> um, of laser, which is not cheap. It's cheap ish. It's not that bad. It's basically like a month's rent plus some, but uh, you know, it's still, that's still a lot of money when you're not making a whole, whole lot. But I basically wasted a lot of that on just not pressing them, for one. Uh, I pretty much immediately knew, hey, this isn't being as effective as it probably should be. What the fuck is going on? I should have said something to them. But uh, me, being the southern fucking dunce that I am, just assumed that as professionals, they know what they're doing. As if they don't have a profit incentive for not doing their job super great. Because then that keeps me coming back, especially if they know that I'm trans, because that means I have a captive audience, because there's not exactly a lot of places where I can go. And as a trans person, it behooves me to uh, get that laser done right quick. And there's not exactly a lot of, uh, uh, it's not exactly an optional thing <laughs> for for trans people around here, for trans women around here, I should say. Um, it ought to be. It ought to be optional. There shouldn't be a paywall in front of like feeling like you're safe as a transgender person, but that's sort of the world that we live in. Is versus ought, you know? But anyway, facial hair. Um, my cheeks are very thin. Um, my mustache is thinner in a lot of ways. It's, yeah, really it's just like mid-neck up. And across my chin. What's interesting is that the center of my chin is very thin and grows very slow. And then I get the the curve at the front of my chin. It's thick. And then there's just a complete bald patch directly under my chin. And I find myself like touching that a lot because 
I've, I found myself wondering a lot because my face has been hairy for so long. that It's like, it's always sandpaper, you know, I never really let myself think that maybe it could be that smooth. And it's kind of amazing to feel like it has the ability to be that smooth. And it is right there, right there in that spot. Also, my lower neck is pretty good. Um, I've gone back and looked at pictures of myself. And besides the fact that I just didn't groom anywhere ever at all, um, it is kind of amazing to see just how much my facial hair has thinned. So at the point when I can finally fucking afford to go back, I will, I'm I'm fairly sure that this time for real disease, this time I'm going to have the ability to get, get it done, that it's actually going to take the effect that it needs because facial hair is the, is the big barrier at this point, right? Like that's the thing that I need to, to deal with because like I said, um, my breasts aren't going to get any smaller. Um, so, okay. So conventional wisdom is when it comes to HRT, uh, you should expect to get breasts of about a a cup size smaller than your sister, essentially. Um, that's the general, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the wisdom, right? Uh, I can't speak to how true that is because I'm a loner and I not there yet. I don't fucking know. But what I can say about that is that um, a, a couple of trans people have expressed to me that my breast growth has been uh, surprisingly fast, which I want to put a little bit of a stoplight there in that I wasn't exactly starting with nothing. Somebody who was overweight to begin with and had been for long enough that I had kind of the... Um, the, 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 I don't want to say man boob. That's stupid and not accurate, but I had, I had a little bit of a, a, you know, a fuck I'm coming up with all of these stupid things. My current tits have the shoulders of giants to stand upon. I don't fucking know what that means, but you get it. But anyway, I've had, yeah, people, people tell me that my breast growth has been faster than they would have expected, faster than it was for them. And, um, the fact is that I don't exactly come from a family of small-breasted women, which I'm not going to complain about. If I have hit that particular genetic lottery, I'm going to fucking take it and run with it because I could use a win. <laughs> so far, I have not exactly won very many of those genetic lotteries. Like It's basically the ability of my brain to be more analytically intelligent than it is self-destructively depressive. And is that it? Is that it? That's basically it, I guess. Hopefully it's, hopefully you can throw, um, genetic propensity towards large breasts in there. Cause it'd be nice. You know, who doesn't like tits? I like tits. What's that George Carlin joke? The, uh, tater tits. That's it. That's the one. Ah, George Carlin. What a comedian he was. But as always, that's all like physical stuff. I mean, so as far as weight loss, I've been off my diet now for three or four months. It's been a while. Like I pretty much stopped right around September, maybe late September, early October. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, 
And that was just because, you know, I felt pretty good about where my weight was. And this is the test, right? I lost almost 100 pounds over the course of a year. And uh, I wasn't at my goal weight, and I'm still not quite there. I could still probably use to lose um, another 35, 40 pounds. But I was below 200 for the first time in my entire, well, not my entire life, but my entire adult life, basically since I was a teenager. And I felt like, you know what? If I feel like I have to keep losing the weight, you know, I'm never going to be satisfied. So I've just got to be happy with how I am for a bit. And the test is like, am I going to fall back and fuck myself up? Do this thing that I always did in the past where I sort of like turn a hard 180 and be like, oh, okay, I'm healthy now. Well, it's time to get super unhealthy. Ice cream for dinner every night. That hasn't really happened. Now I will say my eating habits have not been great. I've been eating a lot of garbage because it's cheap and easy. My depression and anxiety have made it very hard to keep up with a lot of different things. And that's sort of just environmental, circumstantial, difficult to not be in the picture, you know, right now. But despite all that, I'm still below 200. I've went up from like, where was I? I was at 183, October 17th. I am presently, I think when I weighed myself last, I was at like 195, maybe less than that. So I'm doing good there. Like the fact that I've been able to maintain that weight, generally speaking. Um, and I guess my sense, again, my sense of time is so stretched. That feels like years ago, October 17. Jesus. So maybe gaining that much weight in that span of time is bad and a bad sign. I don't know. And I've obviously, if I kept it up over the course of what a year that would get me back to where I was. But the other thing is that I haven't been eating nearly as much. My stomach, the size of my stomach definitely has to have shrunk because I can't eat as much as I used to. I've tried <laughs> just out of habit where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this and I'm just full like instantly and I feel sick. Um, which is good. It kind of makes it easier to like stay at the level that I'm at, you know? But so yeah, a lot of the clothes that I have fit well, I'm sort of discovering um, what how my, how my body fits into clothes. There's been a, a number of articles of clothing, like this really nice pair of like purple jeans that I got at Goodwill a while back that I, not, I thought would never fit me, but I got them because I just absolutely had to have them. And they fit me perfectly now, and it kind of freaks me out. There's been a number of bits of clothes that are like that. So it's nice, you know, your body changing shape slowly over time. And it's the sort of thing that's almost impossible to really notice until enough time has passed that you stopped paying attention. You stopped like counting the days. I think at this point, I think the first three months of HRT are the longest. And I say this as somebody who's been six months, so I don't have a ton of perspective there. But for me, the last three months have been relatively easy. There have been days where I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Why is why why am I still like this? You know? But those first three months, it's like every single day you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking, like, what is my are my cheeks getting getting thinner or higher or fat redistribution happening? Like what's going on there? Um 
and you're like touching your your nipples like do i have tits yet does this hurt is this like mild ache just in my head or is it real and every day you're both like oh i see a change hooray and it's you're like you're making it up but then you're also like i don't feel anything boo you know it's not it just doesn't work on you know you're just like constantly thinking about it and eventually i think once once your tits start growing um it gets easier (laughs) because it's an everyday reminder and um they don't it's the hurt is is interesting because it's not like they're just aching all of the time it's more that they're just really sensitive and there are a lot of little motions that you can do that you took for granted before that suddenly you know you knock your fucking chest and you're like oh ow i am in incredible pain basically anything where you're like pulling on something and putting tension on it and it like slips out of your hand and you're like you pull your chest, your, your hand into your chest or whatever. Um, I don't know. There's lots of little things. It's hard to, it's hard to remember specifically any of them off the top of my head because they're so instant, like they're muscle memory type things. Um, I was at May Leitz's house in a, a two weekend last weekend. Yeah. Last weekend, uh, a little over a week ago. And while she was getting ready about to take me back to the train station, uh, uh, we were talking sort of through the door. She was in the bathroom putting makeup on and, uh, I heard her make a very specific pained noise. And I immediately said, I said, did you hit your tits? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that we know, we know it's like, it's, it's not even just the experience. It's like the sound that you make is like recognizable. It's hilarious. But once that starts, it gets easier, you know, because now you've got that reminder, you've got a thing where, you know, and I do, I haven't, I haven't been doing this as much recently, but when I started, I did this a lot where I would just spend a lot of time like touching that, those, those nubs under my nipples, those little sensitive spots where the, the the boob harvest is is on its way up uh, and feel the sort of like discomfort and pain and think like, okay, something is happening. It's not all just in my head. But let's uh, let's actually go in in the head for a minute here because all of these HRT descriptions that I've talked about just now, that's all bodily progress. That's all, you know, observable things. Um, what about emotional, psychological changes? Well, that's a good question. And it's sort of a subject that I broach to some extent in the video that I'm working on right now, which I think is probably the the coolest thing that I've ever done and maybe will ever do. I don't know if that's true. I'll, I'll come up with something else, but um, it's certainly the most ambitious thing that I've attempted to pursue to this date that I haven't given up on. Um, there are lots of ambitious projects that I've started and kind of thrown by the wayside at a certain point because they just weren't, uh, 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 well, because I didn't have the motivation to do them. I, I would have the idea and then I would not come up with a plan and then I would just sort of like move on. And what's nice about both HRT and also treating my bipolar and my ADHD medically is that 
I am able to like focus on things in a way that I wasn't before, like work on them even when I don't want to. Now this doesn't quite extend to purely academic work, which is why I'm so fucking behind on so many different things, but that has a lot more to do with the fact that I'm just goddamn done with school and it's real hard to make myself do basically anything right now besides work on the ch- on the channel. Like what I want right now is to focus all of my time on making the podcast better, making my YouTube show better because um, last night, actually, my Patreon, patreon.com slash LTAS. <laughs> I, Jesus, I shouldn't, I shouldn't joke like that because never mind. That's too meta a discussion. Anyway, uh, last night, my Patreon passed $300 a month. That's fucking huge. And my experience has been like following other people's, um, um, Patreon campaigns i guess that threshold like there's there's a there's a there's a threshold between like zero to maybe a hundred hundred and fifty dollars where you're just sort of like stuck in that zone for a long time and then once you hit like upper 200 past 300 dollars uh that's the point at which things can start to snowball if other factors are in place where like my the the my channel my youtube channel is at i think it's just exactly at 6900 uh subscribers i gotta check that because if that's true that's very nice wink 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 yep 6900 subscribers exactly nice a hundred away from seven thousand subscribers. Uh, that's pretty wild. Here's a fun thing. I I I'm going way off topic here. I put out a video four days ago about Thor Ragnarok and neoliberalism, and it's it's the video itself is almost nine minutes long, but the the video essay portion is only four minutes long. So I had to do it for a class, and I wasn't going to release it. Uh, but I thought it was funny enough that I would do it. And then I had a, added a, uh, a, a, an epilogue that was just me talking about that video and saying, you know, eventually this is something that I want to do as a full length video essay, but I thought I would put this out cause it's fun. And that video now has almost 3000 views, which is fucking wild. Uh, oh shit. My counterpoints video passed a hundred thousand. Jesus, that happened. I didn't even notice it was at like 90, uh, yeah, 90,000 for a while there. Jeez, that video's got some legs. That video's got some legs. Wow. Oof. Wow. I got way off topic here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I, if I had my, if I had my druthers, I would just be working on my enterprise, <laughs> my, my, uh, content creation enterprise here because it feels like it's, in the process of going, going places. Um, but anyway, I feel like I'm better able to actually do that. And I think that the success that I've encountered recently, um, is to some extent a result of the fact that I am treating myself well and treating myself medically and actually 
working to become a functional human being. I know that's an amazing concept. The idea that when you become a functional human being on like an emotional, spiritual level, uh, you're able to better do work. I had a friend who said something along the lines of, if I could sacrifice myself to make my friends happy, I would do it. Okay, I say this as somebody who knows exactly how she feels because I've been there. That's how I was when I was younger. The thing is, you know, you feel like you want to put everybody else's needs before yourself and you think that's what you should do as like a selfless person. But in reality, if you don't give a shit about yourself, if you're not like healthy in your own body, you can't really help other people. Like you can try and sometimes you can be successful, but ultimately if people come to rely on you and you can't rely on yourself, they can't rely on you and you will end up disappointing them. Like it's kind of counterintuitive, but you need to take care of yourself if you want to take care of others. Like if you're of the attitude that you need to break yourself, like push yourself to the point of complete self-destruction in order to make other people happy, ultimately that happiness will be built on a time bomb, you know? That's not sacrifice. That's selfishness. It's selfless selfishness somehow. I've had a number of conversations with a friend of mine about my traumas, my sexuality, my fraught relationship with my former YouTube partner. Just a lot of events that have been fucking me up. And I've been able to process these things and I've cried a lot Oh, I've cried so much over the last three or four months. So much crying, but it's all been so good. It's like you cry. I never thought I could feel this way where like before I couldn't cry. And if I started to, it was this like physical block. Like I was having to push my tears through like this, this 10 mile thick web of like, sponge and cheesecloth that you're just like pushing down and it won't and by the time the tears actually get to the surface it like hurts so much that the whole thing can't help but like crumble and it like ruins your day if not your week like it's it, it it's taxing it's physically and emotionally taxing now i can just like cry for a bit and just like be crying and then be done it's like it's wild just feeling emotions normally, or I guess what I imagine is normal for some people. I mean, it's gotta be right where you can just have a feeling about a thing that happened and it makes you sad and you cry and then you stop crying and you move on. <laughs> you process them. You process the emotions. You feel them. And you internalize them and then you walk away. What a concept. Now, there's a lot more that I could say about this, but I want to keep it short because we're already going a little bit long. I will say that this is a topic that I'm broaching quite a bit in my upcoming video, which is called In Transition. And you hopefully, let me check my calendar here. Hopefully it will be up by Friday the 21st of December. Um, if it's not up by then, then it'll be up by, what, the 38th? No, th 38th. 
there there are so many days in December. The 28th is what I meant to say. Um, Isn't it weird how every single month has like 28 to 31 days except for December, which is 73 days long? It's super weird how December is like that. Anyway, uh, that video will be out before the end of the year is my ultimate deadline. But I'm trying to get it out by the before Christmas and not on Christmas. And if failing that, it's going to be the Friday after Christmas or whatever. So that gets us to the plans, future plans for the podcast. Like I said at the top of the episode, and as I've expressed in previous episodes, I'm not 100% clear what this show is anymore. And that's not a bad thing. That's not me saying that I'm like, eh, it's, it's time for this thing to go. It's outlived its usefulness. I've gotten a lot of messages from a lot of people telling me that um, it has not outlived its usefulness, uh, put simply. And I want to say there are, real quick, out there, there are a couple people you have sent me emails that I have not gotten to, and it's been woefully too long since I replied to them. Just wait, because I promise I'm going to get to them, but I don't want to get to them at a time when I can't answer sufficiently. You know, I don't want to just sort of give your your email a cursory nod and then walk away from it. I want to actually answer it. Okay. So yeah, the podcast has sort of morphed into an advice show slash an interview show slash, I guess, news and opinion. Part of this episode was me kind of trying to return it a bit to the self-chronicle aspect. One of the things that I'm working on right now, one of the many little background projects, is getting the podcast up on YouTube, which is something I've wanted to do for a little while, if only because YouTube auto-generates captions, and they're not great, but they're better than nothing. Going through those old episodes, I realized that like, kind of what's good about them is that it is like essentially a diary. It's essentially just me talking about my experience, um, trying to figure my shit out. And that has kind of gone away. And part of it is that I've been really busy with my own shit, um, lots of life happening. And I knew this was, I knew this was happening and I've been kind of talking about it on the podcast this whole time. I've been trying to figure out how to get it to somewhere where it is what it needs to be. Because as much as I like those old episodes and I love the, I guess, narrative progression, Probably it would be up until I interviewed Carta. And then after that, that to me, like that was the moment that it, the, the, I guess the quote unquote professional element of the podcast sort of hit for me. And then from there, it's not that like it declined, but it wasn't as chaotic in terms of like what it could be formally. Uh, which is why I played around with it so much. There's lots of different like, ventures out into different like things i guess different ideas but i don't think going back to those the style of those early episodes is really sufficient because again eventually there's just only so much that i can say about this experience where the first you know the first year of realizing i'm trans deciding what to do about it researching what to do, going to do it, doing it, and then living that experience for a while. Um, that's a turbulent time. 
and it's dynamic. Things are changing every day. So there's a lot to talk about. Now that's not so much the case. And I think, you know, that part of part of the 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 making up for that has been it becoming more of an advice show and, you know, interviewing people. And I don't want to sit here and just talk about the same shit over and over and over and over and over again. I already feel like I do that enough. So I've been trying to figure out how to how to spice things up and how to make the podcast feel better in the long term. Because I don't want it to go away. I do feel like this podcast does something very important, at least for the people for whom it is important. So to that end, I have a very special announcement, and you and your mind can visualize the words, very special announcement with a capital V, a capital S, and a capital A. I'm bringing on a co-host. It's Maylitz. Are you surprised? Maylitz is becoming a infrequent co-host and collaborator of the Trans Questioning Podcast. Wow. And you might be thinking to yourself, Sarah, what the fuck is this about? Why didn't you consult me? The answer to that second question is obviously scheduling conflicts, and you know this. I tried to consult you, but you were too busy with your projects. But as to the former question, the what the fuck, while I was visiting with May, we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about YouTube, we talked about living on the internet, we talked about being transgender. We wound up recording an episode of us chatting, which is just us talking about working and living on YouTube, which that will be coming out this coming Friday. We got along super well. It was a lot of fun. And she expressed interest in like trying to do her own podcast, but didn't know what it would be about. Because, you know, when your YouTube show is just talking about movies, you don't want to then do a podcast. It's also you talking about movies. You kind of want like a mental break. So the long and short of it is that I asked her if she would be interested in becoming more of a feature on my show. And she said yes pretty much right off the bat, which is really exciting for me because I thought I was just going off into the wilds there, shooting into the dark. And she just caught that arrow right with her hands and threw it right back at me and said, hey, you got it. You nailed it. That's a good metaphor, right? Now, I want to assure you that not much is actually going to be changing about the podcast going forward. It'll still be a blend of answering questions, talking about life, discussing the news, only now there will be a second voice who can add some perspective and keep me from going on for an hour and a half about basically nothing. Or at the very least, will go there with me and make me feel validated in that uh, that digression. There's a lot of sort of like crass business type stuff that one could say about this. Like it's still my show in heavy scare quotes. Like ultimately, I'm the voice of uh, authorial uh, intent. I guess uh, I'm the one editing this thing together. I still have complete right to like do my own thing. You know, at the beginning and end, if I want to do like a monologue. I just think it'll help keep the show varied and interesting and um, let us be able to provide more answers, uh, better answers for questions and, you know, address our thoughts more succinctly and more accurately. I don't know if you've spent much time with May, but she's a smart cookie. She's real. She's a she's a she's one of the good ones. What does that mean? So if you want a taste of the future, go back and listen to my conversation with her earlier in the year and then listen next week 
or later this week, to our conversation about YouTube. Now, of course, we are both very busy at this time of the year, so it's kind of hard to schedule like when we're going to, to start recording for the show, but it's also like playing it by ear because we're both internet people. We kind of make our own schedule. She's got like a day job, but uh, I'm about to graduate from college, so I don't fucking give a shit. My job is just finishing this god-awful video. This wonderful, god-awful, painful-ass video. So expect one, maybe two episodes of the uh, podcast before the end of the year. It probably will just be me again, um, but it also might be with May. We'll just wait and see. And then going into the new year, uh, she'll be a more frequent feature. So, okay, that's that. If you have concerns... Uh, you can send me an email or you can, if you have questions or thoughts or comments or stories or any other sort of thing, you can send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com or you can send an anonymous message at curiouscat.me slash hmsnofun. If you like what I do and you want to support me doing it even more, go to patreon.com slash l-t-a-s and pledge to give me some money each month, you know, for e-begging purposes. Links to all of those, obviously, are in the description. You can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun and at, at TransQ Podcast. Cover art is by Emily Bumgarner. The music is by Insane in the Rain. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you again soon-ish. Eventually. Eventually. I'll see you again eventually. See ya. See <laughs> ya.